Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Cross Point Baptist Church this morning. As we celebrate Palm Sunday, I'm going to read the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem in Luke chapter 19, verses 28 through 40. When he had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass, when he had drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mountain called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village opposite you, where, you, where as you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks, Why are you loosing it? Thus shall uh, you say to him, because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent uh, their way found it, and just as he had said to them, but as they were loosing the colt, the owner of it said to them, why are, you loosing, uh, why are you loosing the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of him. And then they brought him to Jesus, and they threw their own clothes on the colt, and they sat Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road, and then, as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all uh, the mighty works that he had, they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who made his triumphal entry, Lord, but soon after, the crowds would turn on him and he would be crucified, but he did that on our behalf something that he was well aware of was going to take place, and he did it for you and me. Lord, we thankful, we're thankful for that. We ask that you would just be with us today. Help us to for, uh, remember those things that uh, our Lord and Savior did for us as we celebrate this Easter uh, Passion Week. Lord, we pray for the music. We pray for the pastor's uh, message today as he brings forth your word, that we would apply it to our lives that we would uh, be drawn closer to you for what you've done for, for us. Lord, we thank you, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us this morning? We sing at the cross. Oh 
at the cross, I surrender my life. I am in all of you. I am in all of you. Where you Tender 
As we prepare to collect the offering, I want to read to you from Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. This is a parable that Jesus gave, one verse. It says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid, and for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. This is a, a very brief parable that Jesus gave to explain how valuable the kingdom of heaven is. It's worth all of that we have. It should be something that we'd be willing to sacrifice everything that we have in order to gain it. And yesterday we had an Easter egg hunt where boys and girls were searching for things in a field. It was a wet field. It was a windy field, uh, but it was fun. And it was fun to see boys and girls looking for those things, and they were able to get tickets and trade those in for some gifts. But the real treasure that we handed out yesterday was in the packets that we gave to the families that registered as they came in. In those packets, the gospel was shared. And we're praying that those families would read those materials, but we're hoping to, to maybe follow up with them and invite them to church next Sunday where they can hear about the real treasure. It wasn't in those plastic eggs. It was in the gospel and the hope of Jesus Christ. So we're praying that uh, we hope that you will pray as well for all the families that we reach. There are a lot of new faces, a lot of young couples, a lot of young families that we're able to, to introduce ourselves to, but we want to introduce them to Jesus Christ. So let's pray as we collect this offering. Let's pray that, uh, that people would hear about that hidden treasure. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the, the opportunity that we've had to share the gospel yesterday and certainly today as we uh, open up your word. We're praying for families that... Uh, we're, we're new that we hadn't met, and even some families that we had met, uh, we're praying that those families would come to church uh, either uh, through online services, but certainly in person next week as we celebrate Easter. We're praying for souls to be reached with the gospel. We're praying that you'll use us at Crosspoint to share the gospel with every creature, all the world, to glorify you. We'll thank you for it all in Jesus' name. Amen. As we take this time this morning to um, celebrate, but also reflect on the Passion Week. We uh, historically take this week, known as the Triumphal Entry that Pastor Roger just read from Luke, and we take this Sunday and we do a couple things with it. This is known as Palm Sunday, many of you know that. 
And one of the things that, that I like to do is share a, a, a suggested outline of what the week looked like for Jesus Christ. What did Monday look like after the triumphal entry? What did, after that, that day, that Sunday of, of all the, the fanfare, of all the, the celebration, what did that week look like? And I'm going to give you a suggested outline. I think in years past, I've even had it in hard copy out at the, at the Welcome Center. If you would like a copy of the suggested outline, see me, I'll be glad to get it to you. But I think it's important for us to know what happened during this, what is known as the Passion Week. Because it, it just gets me revved up. I get excited. Um, I, I make no, um, I, I don't even try to be, hide this, My most, uh, the Sunday I look forward to the most is Easter Sunday of the 52 Sundays typically that are in a year. It's Easter Sunday for me. It's the resurrection. It doesn't matter what's going on in your life, the resurrection. It doesn't matter. You may think, well, but you don't know. We, we've got some bad news, the resurrection. You may think, but our, have you seen our economy? The resurrection. Have you seen the world, cry, world crisis of everything going on? Are you that disengaged, Pastor? The resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the apex. The, I'm out of words. I don't have words for it. What, it will, what you understand and embrace the resurrection of Jesus Christ, what it does, because it's everything. His resurrection gives us new life, brand new life. And if we don't embrace that and, and, and not be ashamed of it or be worried that we can't, you know, is, did it really happen? I believe it, but I just don't want to make a bunch of waves about it. If there's no resurrection, there's no salvation, there's no hope. All oh, people, you're going to have to wake up this morning. You're talking like you don't believe the resurrection. I was reading in a little book this last week, and uh, this missionary was going to the Middle East. And he had already planned to go there. And then 9-11 happened. And on 9-12, September 12th, he put a for sale sign in his front yard. He's going. And his neighbors are going, whoa, wait, 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 wait. Why, why, why would you? You're not going now. You're not, you're not going over there now. He said, especially now. Because of the resurrection. It's almost as if he believed the resurrection. That's how the book went on. It's almost as if Paul went to places where they were pursuing him for his life and they would actually have to kind of pull Paul back going, bro, you got to, this is, and it's almost as if Paul believed the resurrection actually happened. He put his life on the line because that's how vitally important it is for your life and for mine. But as we think about those uh, topics, as we work through what this week potentially looked like, I also want to make a mention that tonight we are having our Lord's Supper at 5, 5 p.m. 5 p.m. We, we have that time frame so that, uh, you know, we're, everybody can get home and just the sun's still out. Um, but at 5 p.m. we have the Lord's Supper uh, on Palm Sunday. We do, try to do it once a quarter and at least uh, it's especially on Palm Sunday as well. But I want you to consider this suggested outline as this week unfolds, and then we're going to land in the book of Mark. So if you want to earmark, you can earmark, start turning to the book of Mark now. Um, and Dennis, hang on for the ride, because I'm not sure, I can't give you one to land on. 
but we'll start in Mark 1. But the triumphal entry happened on a Sunday. Uh, Jesus was six, was in Bethany for six days before the Passover. We know that from John chapter 12, the timeline. And you can look at, when we look at the scripture, it says, and then, and again, we get tripped up on the big words of the Bible. Perhaps the little words have uh, the more uh, pertinent meaning instead of worrying about the big words. You know, how did Jesus know as he walked this earth um, uh, in his humanity and yet being fully God? You want a big fancy word? Hypostatic union. Doesn't it? Yeah. I'll look it up and find out what it means eventually. But it talks about how God, Jesus Christ was fully man and fully God. Now, he wasn't 50-50. He was 100% and 100%. As he walked this earth, it's the little words that you'll see that, that gives us a timeline as we look in John chapter 12. But Jesus, the triumphal entry. And it's so interesting as Pastor Roger read that. They were rocking and rolling. They were praising. They were, they were, he's the man. He's our guy. I mean, if there was bumper stickers, it would have been vote Jesus. It was all that. The, the bracelet, the WWJD, the T-shirt, the, the whole nine yards. But we know how this Passion Week goes, don't we? Less than five days later. The bumper sticker's off the car, the bracelet's off the WWJ, no t-shirt. He's alone. He's alone. But that week, it was, you know, there's so many parallels that we think about that Sunday in the triumphal entry. The most amazing thing about the triumphal entry is that he let it happen. They had tried to do it before, and he kept stopping them, stopping them. Stop. He, it, why? Because when the fullness of time had come, it was time. How many of you know that God is in control? Including the timing. You may have something going on in your life right now that you do not like. God's still in control. Yeah, but the timing, I, God's still in control. You do not have charge of the time. In fact, the book of James says you have little control of your time. You do not know the days, the hours, and the moments that you have on this earth. But God does. Psalm 139 and some change tells us that very point right there. The days of our number fashioned for us. Triumphal entry, Bethany, he's rocking and rolling. The palm trees are flinging. That's on Sunday. On Monday, this is what Monday would have potentially looked like, is all these people on Sunday were crying Hosanna. Um, the, the fact that the cult that Pastor Roger read and Luke was everything as Christ said. By the way, when Christ says something... It amazes me, even when we look at Bible characters, sometimes they're still surprised that it happened that way. If God says he's going to do it, don't be too surprised. Be excited, be happy, be, pray, be pray, he's praiseworthy, but don't be shocked. If he's given you a promise and he delivers, be excited, but don't be shocked. Oh, I don't think you're buying into that one. This morning I was teaching in Bible Quest with Pastor Rick and the word covenant. The word covenant. And we're, to, we're, we're teaching about the Old Testament, New Testament, Old Covenant, New Covenant. Hear the word there? Covenant means a strong agreement or a strong promise. God has given us promises. All the covenant, look at all the covenants in the Bible. Y'all, I ain't even in my notes right now. This is just fun. Look at all the covenants in the Bible. A, the, the, he had a covenant with Abraham. Uh, let's start with Adam. He had a covenant with Noah. He had a covenant with Moses. Abraham. He had a covenant with Davidic covenant. The Mosaic. 
there's so many covenants. Those are promises, divine promises, but they're strong agreements. God's never broke a covenant. Have you ever broke a covenant? Don't answer. The answer is yes. He's never broke a covenant. Monday, so Sunday, the triumphal entry. Now Monday happens. This is where he would have cleansed the temple in Luke 19. He went in there. Uh, why did he do this? And again, we're not going to, we're just hitting this in a big broad stroke here. On Monday, he had all this fanfare. What do you see him do immediately? He's, this is not how you win friends and influence people right here. And that is by going in and making enemies. What did he do? He went to his father's house and saw what it had become. Now, he had done this before. He had seen this before. But you just have all, political science would say, hey, you got momentum, Jesus. Don't rock the boat. You got the votes. You got the votes. You're the man. How come everybody's looking at me so stoic right now? Relax, people. This is our Savior we're talking about. Put a smile on your face for crying out loud. You got the votes, Jesus. Don't rock the boat. And he goes into the temple and he's setting the record straight. They're in his father's house. They made it a den of thieves. They made it something it was never meant to be. This was to be a house of prayer. They made it what it was never meant to be. And he clears the temple. Now, in your mind's eye, I don't know what you envision. And when I read the Bible, and the more I read when he cleansed the temple, he did it as a man's man. He cleared the temple. He drove them out. There's some righteous indignation going on here. Righteous indignation. He cleansed the temple, den of thieves, house of prayer. Isn't making just had the crowd, and that quick he's losing some of them. He's a train wreck in the political science world. But the people really, I should say those that were offended in the temple, couldn't really do much because he still had the support of the people. You know what's amazing about the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious elite and he was in the temple and cleansing them out? What's amazing is they weren't afraid of him. They were afraid of popular opinion. Even back then, the court of popular opinion has more weight, perhaps, than our courts of law. But they, he, they were afraid of the people. We see that. And this is on Tuesday would have been the day when most likely uh, that Judas betrayed Jesus in Luke 22. Jesus' authority gets challenged in the temple and he confronts the Jewish leaders. So on one day he cleanses the temple. On the next day they're starting to push back just a little bit. The Olivet Discourse happens as well. Judas uh, would have agree, agreed to um, uh, betray Jesus. And it says that Satan entered. Remember that. The murder of Jesus wasn't only the plot of Judas and leaders, it was evil himself, Satan. Tuck that one away. Remember that. Who killed Jesus? Ultimately, Satan. It's interesting because Scripture doesn't say hardly anything about Wednesday, if anything. So this is why it's called a suggested timeline. All, none of the four Gospels give a clear direction for it. But I would suffice to say a lot happened. You think, well, Pastor, you said before, if the Bible is silent, you need to be silent. Well, that is true. 
But the Bible also says that it, there's no amount of record that can record everything that Jesus did. What do you think he did on Wednesday? He sat back in a recliner? Watched the final four? What do you think he did? He's the Savior. He's not, he's not uh, Homer Simpson here. He, he's, he's our Savior. Books couldn't contain all that he did. So as you think about, as your week moves forward this week, okay, as your week moves on, as you get to tomorrow, start thinking about tomorrow. Yeah, what was Jesus doing? Now, in, in times past, we've done this. We may do it next year. Who knows? We, every, we have palm waves, palm leaves, uh, where you can wave them. That, and that's okay to do. I remember as a kid, the church I went to, we did that all the time. We had the palm leaves, and we had the 30 pieces of silver which I, I think I've told you the story in the past, where we had these little bags at Forestdale Church of Christ is where I went. Little bag and had 30 pieces of silver where you put your coins in there and it's an offering to the church. And well, what we did with them was we didn't put money in them. We, put, we had rubber band things and we had wars with them. So we'd stuff them full of rubber bandy things. But then the more I thought about it, later I'm thinking the 30 pieces of silver I don't know what the message was there on that, on that kind of offering. I don't know. But when I did give, I would hit my mom's nickel jar. She had a jar full of just nickels. I would take my mom's nickels and put in a 30 pieces of silver. That was my offering. Where was I going with that? As this week continues on, I want you to be, just let it, let your mind go there. Today, triumphal entry. Tomorrow, cleansing of the temple. Tuesday, he gets pushed, a little pushback. Judas, Satan enters Judas. He's agrees to betray. Wednesday, we don't know a whole lot. I think Thursday, we kind of, you know, it, it, this is where it, everything picks up. And we'll, between today, but more next week, you'll hear more about it. But listen, before we can celebrate and share the resurrection, we have to talk about his death. We often talk about the good news, the gospel. That's what it means, good news. You can't embrace and understand and celebrate the good news unless you understand the bad news. What is the bad news? We've missed the mark. All other religions, watch this, watch this, challenge me if you want. All other religions, world religions, and by the way, some denominations, say that you got to work your way to God. You can add Christ, but you got to be good. Here's the law. Here's what the commandments. Here's you got to work your way there. All world religions and even some under the under the name of Christendom are working your way to him. But true salvation according to the Bible is the exact opposite. You you're not good enough. You can't work your way there. You're going to fall short. That's the bad news is you're going to fall short. Everybody might. Yeah, but my falling short is not as short as that person. Short, short. If you missed the mark, you missed the mark. It doesn't matter if you miss it by six inches or 60 feet. You missed the mark. But true salvation, according to the Bible, biblical salvation is when you come to Christ. You come to Christ recognizing you've missed that mark. Not, I'm going to try harder. I'm going to do better next time. By the way, let me think, well, what's that about? What is my part? Let me tell you where you need to work real hard is in your sanctification. 
You can work real hard at sanctification. Be a set for holiness. Now, Holy Spirit's doing the work, but you got work to do as well. This is a great introduction. A 20-minute introduction. This is great. Check it out. As we move our way, we got to hear the bad news, and then you get to hear the good news of the resurrection. Thursday would have been when everything started to happen. Everything started to happen. The court, the false trial, uh, uh, the Garden of Gethsemane. The, the, here they come. Peter's whacking ears off. They're in the courtyard. There's denial. He's being beat. All this kangaroo court, if you will, ultimately to Jesus being beat. They're selling his robe. They're selling his stuff. They're mocking him. Hey, guess who I am as they're slapping him around? to be nailed to the cross. Somebody had to carry the cross a part of the way. That's all the bad news. It's graphic. It's gory. A lot of blood. A lot of blood. You may think, oh, you Baptists, you are blood mongers. We're not blood mongers, except for the fact it's Christ's blood. Because it's a pure. He was a perfect sacrifice for you and I. And then as he shed his blood, that's the bad news. The, the dying on the cross is the payment of our sin according to the Bible. You can't pay for your own. That's a check you can't write or cash. You can't pay for it. You cannot be made right with God in and of yourself. It's like a filthy rag. I want to take this time as we put our attention on the book of Mark, if you will. I want to talk about the Passion Week a little bit more. Just a little bit more as we consider what is it about the Passion Week that we could draw our attention to. Listen, every Palm Sunday, there's so many different directions and areas we can go. But I think it's important that we get some, some fundamental areas here for our lives as we consider what that week looked like. We believe in the words, but also the works of Jesus Christ. Well, he had passed judgment on the house of God, and eventually his authority gets questioned. That word authority is an interesting word, isn't it? By what authority do you do this? Well, we know that's in the Bible, but we even use that in today's terminology, don't we? When you're dealing with somebody, or maybe a government, or an entity, or whatever, you want to know by, by who are you again? I remember, well, I'll save that story for another time. But the authority is the power or the act or the freedom to rule. Spencer, would you put on the screen Matthew 28, 18? Keep your finger there and mark. But I want you to look at Matthew 28, 18. Consider the word authority, the power or or the power to act, a freedom to rule. Watch this. This is vi is very important. And Jesus came and he spoke to them, saying, All authority. Say all. All, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Who gave him that authority? The Father. But don't forget, he's God in the flesh as well. He had all authority. There, he had all authority not only to pay for sin, he had all authority to speak the way he spoke, but he also has all authority to execute judgment. You're going to see that in Revelation big time. In two Wednesdays from now, you're going to see it real big time. Executing his authority. The power to act, the freedom to rule. All authority is given to him by God, and that's why he is the Lord. Say Lord. Lord. 
Oh, man, don't let that become just a Bible churchy word for you. Don't, don't let that become, that's just a Sunday word. He is the Lord. That means the ruler, the master. You want him to be the Lord of your heart. That's what you want. He had the authority not only belonged to God, but it was given to him 75 times in the gospel says, truly I say unto you, 75 times. That's one time for every year that Mike Throckmorton's been walking this earth. Got him. It's good to have Mike here today. He had a busy week. That's significant that he said, truly I say unto you 75 times. Why is it significant? Because nobody said that. Nobody had spoke like that before. They were speaking on the authority of the Old Testament. The Torah. They were speaking on the authority of the Pentateuch. Something else. The rabbis quoted sources Jesus didn't have to. He did sometimes, but he didn't have to quote any source. Man, when you go into high school and or college, that is very important that you cite work. You got to quote your source. Uh, Jesus, by what authority are you saying these things? He didn't need any. By the way, he spoke the Old Testament as well. So he has all the authority. The only type or source he quoted from would have been the Old Testament. There we go. Let's go to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. <clears throat> Mark chapter 1, verse 22, as we're thinking about this fact that Jesus, when he did quote, he would only be quoting the Old Testament, per se, because uh, which he wrote. Look in 122. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Remember, authority is the power to act, freedom to rule. He spoke like that. Look in 127. Go to verse 27. Then they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves saying, what is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. Say authority. authority. He commanded the unclean spirits to obey him. Look in Mark chapter 2 verse 10. Look in 2.10. Jesus is speaking. We know this because it's in red letters in my Bible. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power. Say power. power. On earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic. He has the authority to forgive sins. Oh, I love that story. It's one of my favorites. How do you know that he has the ability to forgive sins? He even asked him, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or rise, take up your bed and walk? And well, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven. Why? Because you can't prove it. Well, I'm going to prove that I can forgive sins. Take up your bed and walk. I love it. I love the, uh, the supernatural part of our Savior. Look at Mark chapter 4, verse 41. 441. The very last verse of chapter 4. And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? He has the authority over the elements. I wish you'd have executed that just a little bit authority of our favor yesterday. 
Man, we got this nice canopy. We spent some money on it, man. It's got our fancy name on it. It's super heavy duty. And the only reason we set it up was for advertisement, right? Because it has our name on it. Sure enough, man, it's stout. But it's only as stout as it is staked. That ground was muddy, and there she went. Boom! Caught our tent, ripped our tent. I almost got grumpy. Love that tent. But he had the authority over the sea and the way. These guys, experienced seamen, experienced fishermen, were fearful for their life. And he said, peace be still. Who does that? Back, let's get back to Jesus passing judgment on the house of God. Look at Mark 11. This is where we'll hunker down for a minute. Mark chapter 11. Verses 15 through 19. Again, the triumphal entry just happened in Mark 11, 1 through 11. The, uh, by the way, there's a great uh, principles for us here where he, the fig tree that he withered. Oh, it's a great lesson there. But we're going to pick up in verse 15 where Jesus cleanses the temple. He passes this judgment. And then we're going to move on. So they came to Jerusalem. Then Jesus went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry wares. Carry wares. Carry where? Do you see that? Anybody know carry where? All right. Somebody text her and let her know her name's in the Bible. He would not allow anyone to carry wares through the temple. Then he taught, saying to them, uh, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of thieves. And the scribes and the chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him. For they feared him because all the people were astonished at his teaching. When evening had come, he went out of the city. Judgment, and he has the authority to do it. I wonder, now listen, I'm not, I don't want to be sacrilegious here, but what does Christ, when he looks at Cross Point Baptist Church, what's he seeing? What's he see? We do not want to be labeled. And, and, and at one point, I think all Bible-believing churches all have to guard this all the time of the, the, the seven churches in Revelation. Where it's like, you're doing this right, but this is, and judgment comes on what we're doing wrong. I want us to be seeking the Lord, be seeking in our personal lives, so that when we come together, we're clean corporately, because we, we want to be well-honoring to Him as His bride. We don't want to be doing just enough. We want to be honoring Him. I wonder, I just help but wonder, what He sees Cross Point Baptist Church, what does He see? What's He see? I know what I see. It's going to be all the good stuff. But we want true. What, Lord, what do you see? Would he be clearing us out? Would he be coddling? I, I, there's so many areas we can go with that. But an attitude and action infuriate. Look at verse 18. The scribes and the chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him. He's got to go. It's time to go. Not like, you got to go now, he's got to die. He, he's got to go 
permanently. He had been disrupting our lives for three years and now he's threatening our power. He's threatening our authority. He's threatening our money. He got to go. They're infuriated. He didn't need permission, by the way, to be in his father's house. But we see in verse 27, look at the first part of verse 27. Then they came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple. Picture this for a moment. Finally, the sin, the, 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 the propaganda, the, the junk's out of his father's house. And now look who's walking around in the temple. Grace is walking in the temple. Christ is walking there in verse 27. Look in verse 28. And they said to him, by what authority, there it is again, are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority to do these things? He had already been telling them, all authority has been given to me. They just don't want to hear it. They're questioning. Now they question him on this. Like, where are you getting the permission? As, as if they had to give him permission. Did you catch that? It's a scary place to be. If you're in a, uh, now we don't want to be like this. We're not going to be like this. But the pastor or the other world religions, they do not have the God-given position of authority to rule over people. It's not to, to, to rule and lord over other people. It's to shepherd and guide. It's to point to, point the way. It's not to lord over. They were uh, asked, they want to know, we have to give you permission, so by what authority are you doing this? Their question was to expose him in verse 28. And by the way, blasphemers got stoned. It was a trick question. By what authority are you doing this? Because if you don't have the authority and you're in the temple and you're blaspheming, you're fixing to get stoned. That means die. The climax of three years of conflict and animosity, being spiritually and intellectually taken to the woodshed by Christ is what this is culminated to. This is where they're at. And then they confront him. Verse 27, we talked about, and uh, verse, then they came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests, the scribes, and elders came to him. This is the confrontation. Watch this. Walking in the temple, believe it or not, was a form of teaching. It was a form of teaching as they would walk through the temple. What could he have been teaching? Oh, I don't know. Something like the sin of vain and empty prayer. He could have been teaching, which we know he's taught. He could have been teaching uh, building your life upon the rock instead of the sand. You ever heard that one before? Deny yourself and follow me. You ever heard that one before? He could have been teaching, be willing to count the cost. Narrow is the way, wide is another way. The goodness of man is going to fall short to being in the presence of God. These priests, these scribes, these elders would be the worst part of all of this. Everything that of those, what, five, six potential things that Jesus could have been teaching, they were doing. This was an indictment on them. They, 
did the scribes, the Pharisees, did they build their life on vainglory and empty prayer? Apparently so. Jesus said this is a, a house of prayer. You made it a den of thieves. Would they be building their life on sand instead of the rock? I think so. They were building it on their own identity, not on faith in, at least for them, in God and God alone before Christ. They would have been doing that. Did they deny themselves and follow God? I think quite the opposite. They were building themselves up and ignoring God. Were they willing to count the cost? Count the cost, cost for what? I got all the... Life's good. Life is good. They got some money. They, got, they can rule some people. They got their Starbucks. They're good. Are they willing to count the cost? I don't want to give up anything. What about this narrow gate? They come my way, it's all good. The point is, Jesus was indicting them in their presence. They thought they were the best. Their presence in the temple would be taking the Lord's name in vain alone, just their presence. Now, I'm going to pause there for a moment. I'm going to pause there for just a moment. As we interact with people in the world and we invite them to Cross Point Baptist Church, I was thinking yesterday, and I'm, it's coming, I, I, I really was chewing on this. Why do we do what we do? Especially on the big events. Why do we do it? And we know the, the, the right answers, right? We want to honor God. We want to tell people about Jesus Christ. We want to share the gospel. But I want to kind of get it down to one word or phrase to introduce. Why do we do what we do? To introduce. Look how many different directions you can go with that. To introduce people to Cross Point Baptist Church. We are hidden, y'all. We are nobody knows where we're at. We're hidden. How about this? Introduce them to ourselves. People don't care what you know until they know how much you care. You ever heard that saying before? Act like you care about people instead of trying to get agenda across. Introduce yourself. But ultimately, and this is with no secrets, we want to introduce you to, our, to why we do what we do to our Savior. We want to introduce you to Jesus Christ. Do you know about Jesus Christ? Do you know anything about him? Do you go to church anywhere? We want to introduce. Isn't that a great little launching pad right there? But as we talk with people and people start coming in here, we're not all going to look the same. We're all not going to act the same, talk the same. Some are going to come in here with some baggage. And they're going to plunk it right down in the chair next to you. But the problem is it's going to be covering up your baggage. The point is we want to be genuine and honest with people. We want to make this a place where people come and hear the hope that lies within. And that's ultimately what we want to introduce people to is hope. We are living in a hopeless world right now. No stability. Do you see stability anywhere? I got an idea. Put your stability in your finances right now. See how far it's going to get you. Put your, put your stability in the equity of your house. Maybe that's a good spot to put it. Put your stability in, 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 in leaders, political leaders. There's nothing that's stable in your life except for Christ and Christ alone. He promises. He's, he's immutable. He does not change. You're going to change. Pastor Roger and I was just talking about how we used to be able to do these activities and load and move things, and it was no big deal. Here, 20 years later, we're walking around going, ooh, man, y'all at moving yesterday kind of got us walking a little different today. It's bad when we got to take ibuprofen before we do an activity. 
Salvation is a gift to an unworthy, wretched person, sinner. And that's you and that's me. Luke 19, 48, a synoptic gospel, says the people were listening to him on purpose. Well, verse 28, we're in Mark 11. In verse 28 that we read, um, we see that they attack him. And they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority to do these things? Three-year buildup. What he did the day before on their turf, that was the, he crossed the line. These religious and political groups, they demonstrate spiritual bipartisan to converge on Jesus Christ. By the way, that's going to happen in Revelation. I'll do my best not to go Wednesday night Revelation mode on you right now. But there's going to be a world religion and there's going to be a world political power that's going to come together. They're going to come together, and it's going to be kumbaya, and it's going to be during the tribulation period, and it's going to be good. And, and people that are here, their felt needs are going to be met. They're going to think it's good for a while until you realize who's driving both. Who's driving the world religion, and who's going to be driving the political power is Satan himself, and one is going to devour the other. Satan, what's up? You got what you wanted. Satan can only be Satan. I'll stop. I'll start going into Revelation mode. But they got, as we get to this point, these spiritual bipartisan, they're going to turn and converge and focus is on Christ this week of the Passion Week. The same question was asked three years earlier when he did the same thing three years earlier. They asked the same thing then. Look in verse 29 as we consider... Um, a couple more verses here. Verse 29 says, But Jesus answered and said to them, I also will ask you one question. Then answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Verse 30, the baptism of John, was it from heaven or was it from men? Answer me. Answer me. Man, I can feel the uh, 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 moment. I can feel that. He's got, I can feel the weightiness because I know from the Bible who Jesus is. They don't have a clue. He has all the authority. This was a rabbinic, it's the way that the rabbis taught, a way of teaching, a question with a question. He was not avoiding the answer. He's not, listen, is there any question you can ask him that he's scared to answer? He's got all knowledge. He's omniscient. He's got it. He was answering he was teaching a question with a question, not avoiding the answer. He had already told them. They, already knew they weren't accepting. There's a difference there. The baptism of John is the whole of that ministry. It's the whole of the ministry of Jesus Christ. Repentance, public uh, confession, and a declaration of Jesus as the Messiah. Remember when John said, Behold the Lamb of God who does what? takes away the sins of the world. That's what John's baptism was pointing. John was the forerunner for Jesus Christ. He's preparing the way and he's going, there he is. Right there he is. There he is. He's right there. That's the one. And he has them here with this question. Because they knew what John the Baptist, they knew what he said, they knew what he was doing. Jesus was asking was this message, was it from God or was it from man? Was John just a man or was the message from God? 
answer me. Now, I'm certain Jesus isn't being sarcastic here. He's not being, answer me and I'll tell you, na-na-na-boo-boo. I don't think that's what's going on. He's making them come faith, com confront their own hearts. Luke, don't turn there, but Luke 7, 28 through 30 says they rejected both. They rejected. By the way, uh, they rejected John the Baptist and Jesus. They were a package deal because John, as that forerunner for Jesus, it was a package deal. And it says in verse 31, look in verse 31, that they, look at the, they reasoned among themselves. Man, these guys must be pretty smart. They're going to come up with the answer that only God can enlighten. They're going to come up with that answer. And as they reasoned within themselves, they, they grouped up and they debated within. They reasoned among within themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe? Look at verse 32. But if we say from men, they feared the people for all counted John to have been a prophet indeed. They were in deep trouble. Why? Remember what we discovered earlier? Blasphemers of the temple got stoned. You need, if you need to see that, it's in Luke 20, um, Luke 20, verse 6. I'll read it to you. Luke 20, verse 6. So where they were, they were trying to get him stoned with his own words, look what happens to them. Luke 20, verse 6, but if we say from men, all the people will stone us. There it is. Oh, what a tangled web we weave when we first practice to deceive. Well, that's an Andy Griffith quote. But how does this wrap up? How does this conclude? Look in verse 33. Uh, let me sneak in 32. But if, if we say from men, they will fear the people. They feared the people, for all counted John to have been a prophet indeed. Verse 33. So they answered and said to Jesus, we do not know. That's the smartest thing they could have said in that moment. And Jesus answered and said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. They already knew. They just weren't going to accept. It's a lot like salvation, really. A lot of people already know the message. They just can't do it or won't do it. Salvation. It's not complicated. It's just hard. Repentance is hard. We do not know. I thought they knew everything about God and his ways. At least that's what they portrayed themselves as. It was their duty. And yet, to miss this was to miss God. We see in verse 33 that Jesus is saying, basically, it's over for you. It's over. Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. He's not being sarcastic. It's over. It's over. Genesis 6, 3 says, My spirit will not always strive with men. Boy, that hurts when you think about, well, I can get right with Jesus right before I step off this earth. You ain't promised that. You are not promised that. Hosea 4, 17. When portions of Israel was joined to idolatry and God is saying, let them alone. You, you can't join the two is what what he's saying there. The Lord won't cast pearls before swines. I hope that's not you today. I hope it's not us today. Then Jesus tells a parable of them. I'm not going to take the time to read it. In chapter 12, verses 1 through 11, he tells them a parable about them right 
to them. And verse 12 says, And they sought to lay hands on him, but they feared the multitude, for they knew he had spoken a parable against them. So they left him and went away. Did you grab that? Did you grab a hold of that? Let's take a moment right now and um, just kind of pause. <clears throat> okay. Let's have a moment of, uh, someone needs a little bit of attention right there. If we could just take a moment and kind of draw our attention to a time of prayer. Can we do that? Kind of focus up here. And um, the focus right here is we have a quick word of prayer and then we're going we're gonna to be dismissed. Okay. Let's bow. Lord, we love you today and so grateful for our time together. Thank you. Do a work that only you can do as we come together. We are lifting up our sister before you right now in real time. I pray that um, you just do what you need to do and we would be respectful and very cautious of how you work in our lives. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Church, if you would, we're going to be dismissed at this time. If you would, kind of sneak our way to the back just to give some time and privacy there.